This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. On Tuesday, when it was announced that the team would extend their lease agreement with the Centennial Authority to stay at PNC Arena, an improved PNC Arena for... We are going to call it a 20-year lease agreement. Uh, there is an out earlier in that process for, uh, it, you know, for circumstances. Uh, but uh, I thought all of that, what we heard on Tuesday, was super positive. Uh, Luke Takak has been on top of this as well, and he joins us on the Adam Gold Show, as he is wont to do on a Friday, sir. So let's start with what happened on Tuesday, uh, because... I I have just heard no negatives from anybody. It is the rare negotiation where it seems that really all parties are pretty happy and in many ways got exactly what they want, even if state might have a slightly reduced parking footprint for tailgating, although I don't think it'll be too bad. Uh, what were your thoughts coming out of Tuesday? Yeah, as I, as I wrote, as a columnist, it's very rare you get to write about something in a, in a sort of unqualified manner. There's always a catch or a red flag, but this made a lot of sense. I mean, it made, it's what should have happened 25 years ago, to be honest. Right. Um, I mean, everybody got something out of this. Um, you know, Tom Dundon gets the right to develop the land, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be great for everybody uh, because, you know, that arena sat in the middle of nowhere. Whether you like to tailgate or not, you don't have the option of going to get a beer before or after the game. <laughs> now you're going to have that, not to right. mention you know, uh, the live music venue, which which isn't even included in the, the first right. $200 million 20-acre phase of development in the first five years. You know, the Hurricanes uh, are going to pay rent now, um, but they get an upgraded building. Uh, they get the right to develop that land. Um, they're committed for the long term. Um, they're going to get new revenue streams from the uh, renovations to the arena. Uh, fans of both NC State and the Hurricanes and concert goers get an upgraded arena. They get new amenities, um, the city and county. I mean, the land that the arena sits on now is state-owned land that's leased through 2096. That's the same length of the lease on the development that's going to happen. There's no property tax paid on that. When the land is developed after the the infrastructure improvements, basically meaning new access from from Wade Avenue and Edwards Mill, and we all know how much that needs that. Uh, We saw it at the outdoor game. Uh, when that's done, then this property will generate property tax. Um, it's also going to generate the funds, the seed money to, to build a new arena starting. Uh, that conversation begins in 2039, which is mm-hmm. the earliest chance the Hurricanes have to get out of this lease. So and NC State gets a $300 million improved building and preserves a five acre tailgating zone around the arena. Plus, they still keep all the lots around Carter Finley. That was never going to change. Right. And <laughs> half of any parking that gets converted from lots now has to remain surface parking in some way. So even beyond that five-acre tailgating zone, there's still going to be sort of tailgating opportunities. And state doesn't have to put a nickel into any of this. Yep. You know, no one's asking state for a dime here. No one's asking taxpayers for a dime because the money for the improvements is either coming from Dundon or coming from the tourism tax fund, which paid for the arena and the convention center and is paying for the arena renovations and the convention center. Again, that's been true for 30 years or yeah. almost 30 years now. So, um, no, not a lot of downsides. Um, you know, there's even an affordable housing component. Yeah. Um, I've heard some criticism that there's not enough housing in the site, but, uh, you know, I think there's that's probably fair, but it's also just the first phase. And, you know, things right. that generate more revenue were always going to be part of the first phase 
Um, so, yeah, so a lot of positives in a lot of ways. I mean, Philip Isley, the chairman of the Centennial Authority, former Raleigh City Councilman, deserves a lot of credit. At, you know, last May, when Gary Bettman came here and kind of read the Riot Act to the Centennial Authority, you know, Isley had been chairman for six, less than six months. Mm -hmm. um, he was just sort of getting his feet wet. Um, in the, you know, sort of succeeding 15 months, he's been able to pull all this together. And look, there are a lot of ropes to pull on here. All three of these things, the development, the new lease, and the renovations all had to happen simultaneously. They were all dependent on each other. And it's really, uh, um, uh, and, and look, the state was involved, the city was involved, the county was involved, Department of Agriculture, Department of Administration, Council of State, Legislature, Governor's Office. I mean, everybody in the state of North Carolina who's got any kind of juice had the ability to block this and they were able to kind of uh make sure everybody was okay with it the same way that you know bandwidth the new bandwidth mm -hmm. campus off edward mill had a lot to do with this that's on state land and i think this may just be the beginning i mean i think you could see this development spread toward the fairgrounds in the long run that's another giant piece of undeveloped land and there's every indication that the department of agriculture is willing to listen luke decock is here as he is on every friday uh, first of all, uh, Wendell Murphy couldn't have seconded it, seconded it. I didn't, don't have, I, I made up a word. Uh, he could not have seconded the motion any faster than he did after Randy Woodson. I think Randy Woodson wasn't even done praising the whole project before Wendell Murphy was second. Uh, and then they had to for formally ask him. Uh, but the, the, the thing about it is that you've been to, uh, other places. I, have you been, you've been to Fenway Park, right? Sure. Okay. So for people who have not been to Fenway Park, there is something called Yawkey Way. Now, it's kind of old, and it, it looks a little bit run down, but it's ultimately, it's a, a big alleyway that is adjacent to Fenway Park with shops and bars and retail and all sorts of stuff. And it's, again, it doesn't have the housing component. It's not modern, but it is an area where fans can congregate before or after a Red Sox game. There's something like that around Wrigley Field. If you go to Nashville, uh, where uh, the arena is, I think it's called Bridgestone Arena, right? It's in the middle of uh, a big entertainment area. Broadway. Right, Broadway, where uh, where the, the, the arena is in Memphis. Uh, Beale Street kind of f like funnels all the way into the arena. We have not had that here. I don't think people recognize just how much we have missed something like that because it could be an entire happening. It would be this is one of the best things that has ever happened to this part of North Carolina. I mean, I've been I've been saying this literally for years when we talk about this, and and I said it again last week or this week when it's been a long week. <laughs> you weren't for various reasons, and we don't need to go back into them, but they made sense. They they do make sense. This wasn't a, a horrible decision. The arena got built where it was. It didn't get built downtown. Now, if it had been built five years later, it probably would have been, but that's yeah. not how this that's not how this happened. Um, Charlotte made that mistake and fixed it mm -hmm. by, you know, tearing down the old Charlotte Coliseum, which looked just like this. It was just a, a zit surrounded by asphalt. And that's what PNC has been for 24 years. Yep. Um, you know, anywhere else you go, Washington, and, and they, they all, you know, their arenas are downtown. This, this comes naturally. The battery in Atlanta is the big one everyone's talking about. They built the stadium in the middle of nowhere. But they surrounded it with all of this stuff. So yeah. you can't bring this arena downtown. We can't afford to build a new arena. Nope. You want to talk about taxpayer money. Nobody wants that, right? That's yeah. the beauty of this. It's not like David Tepper asking for a giant handout because <laughs> he, Lord knows he doesn't have enough money. You know, this is kind of paying for itself. 
a new arena downtown would have cost a billion dollars once you get into the land and the construction yep. and materials and all that. We can't bring this arena downtown. We are bringing downtown to this arena. Mm-hmm. And it should have happened 25 years ago. If Peter Carmanos had any interest or any money, it would have happened. Yeah. But, you know, he never left Detroit. He was broke. He was ba- could barely afford to keep the, the lights on at PNC. He never had any interest in being a developer. Tom Dundon can develop stuff wherever he wants. Money and capital are not his problems. <laughs> you know, he's choosing to do this here instead of in Texas, where Lord knows there's a lot fewer bureaucratic and regulatory hurdles, because it'll help the team. It's fun, and it'll be cool to look back and say, hey, we took this arena and turned it into, you know, not just an arena sitting by itself, but an arena that's the center of a place people go every day, whether there's something happening at the arena or not. Yeah, Tom uh, Tom has been saying for, you know, as long as I've known him, that that's, this is what he wants to do. He, hope, he hoped he'd be able to do it. And I know uh, in conversations with Philip Isley, uh, who you recognize as the um, – chairman of the centennial authority he he said to me that this will either be the greatest thing i've ever done or it'll be a monumental failure and it does look like it's the former not the latter let me ask you one more thing before we let you go luke DeCock of the news and observer so this has been uh a crazy couple of weeks for college football and again i keep saying it we have to stop calling it about calling it college sports this is entirely about football and money uh, I know you're not surprised that Florida State allowed the deadline to pass on, what was it, Tuesday before, so they did not opt out of the ACC next year. But where is the league, do you think? Should they have voted to accept Stanford, Cal, and maybe SMU? No, no. First of all, Adam, I, I, I get what you're saying, that football is driving all of this, but the reality is this is about college sports, all of college sports, is affected by this. Every sport is affected. When Bro, no, no, I get tail, it. No, it is. Every sport gets knocked off the table. So, I, no, I, no, I know, understand. So There's an impact. There's well, an impact on I, all sports. Right. I get it. But right, the, I'm leading into my next, okay. my next point here, which is, so if football's driving everything, why on earth would you be looking at Cal and Stanford? They bring nothing to the table from a football perspective other than Notre Dame likes to play Stanford, and Lord knows that's not going to be enough to get Notre Dame to to get into the fold and, mm-hmm. and get out of this 20% arrangement. No, it's a, it would be a disaster. And, and you know, if you look back at the other two big cycles of ACC expansion, the first one had a very distinct purpose. Get to 12 teams, upgrade football with programs like Miami and accidentally Virginia Tech, which worked out okay at the time. Mm-hmm. And the second one had a distinct purpose. We've maybe gone a little bit toward the football side. We need more markets to get a television network. Let's add Pitt and Syracuse and upgrade basketball a little bit while, you know, spreading our fabled footprint. There's no plan here. This is completely reactive. It is, it's panic. And it's just another indictment of the people who run college sports, which are the university presidents, who are completely unequipped to run a billion-dollar business. They keep making terrible decisions. They all came up as fundraisers. That's how you advance in mm-hmm. academia now. All they look at is where can we squeeze out another nickel? And they're doing it to the detriment of college sports. There's no question about that. So when you look at Cal and Stanford and SMU, um, unless SMU is just going to give the money straight to Florida State to shut them up, I don't see the point in this. I think it makes the ACC weaker and more fragmented. You know, one argument as well, the the schools that want to stay need these votes to keep the ACC together. 
If you're telling me that you think in a year Cal and Stanford are going to be voting with the best interests of the original eight ACC schools that are left in mind, you're out of your kazoo. I mean, none of this makes any sense. I give Jim Phillips credit for exploring it. I think the due diligence was smart. I think the four schools that allegedly voted against this, including NC State and UNC, did the first smart thing that anyone's <laughs> done in expansion in 10 years. And if Randy Woodson, who I've blasted for being on the NCAA board of directors and extending Mark Emmert's contract before they fired him, not to mention all the other sort of crazy, ludicrous decisions that have been made in NCAA governance, if Randy Woodson really voted against this and did the smart thing, I'll give him a ton of credit because <laughs> it's hard to be that guy in the room. Same thing for Kevin Guskowitz. It's hard to be that guy in the room saying, no, this is a bad idea. You guys are making a huge mistake. It's easy to go along and tell everybody how smart and proactive you're being. But the reality is the ACC is being extremely reactive. It's acting out of fear, not out of any sort of plan. And if this just goes away, it'll be the best thing that can happen to the ACC. Look, I feel bad for Cal and Stanford, too. They're great schools. They have great traditions. Um, you know, it's very nice that Jack Swarbrick thinks that adding those two schools would help the ACC. You know, we're all we're all waiting to see Jack Swarbrick in the hot dog suit saying we're all trying to find the guy who did this. But the reality <laughs> is they don't help. They, well, Adam Golden Studio with my man, Coach Pete DeRuta, Capital Financial Advisory Group. Financial advice industry can be overwhelming for a lot of people. Is there a way to be sure you're getting the best service when you don't know? Yeah, Adam, it's not just if you gave the money to a planning team and they did good the first year. I mean, anyone could do good for one year, but it's a track record and it's a long-term accounts that are very important. We call that a financial fill-up strategy, Adam, and that gives you lifetime income you can never outlive. We'll put together for you, the listener, your very own total retirement plan. If you call right now. Call and claim your comprehensive review with Coach Pete and the team, 888-843-0013, or text ADAM to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. I think there is an economic benefit, even though it doesn't add to the football product. I get it. And, and, and first of all, I should say, and I said this, I've said this many times, I agree in not adding those three schools. But I agree from this standpoint. I'm still looking at this as a college conference. And I think we can get lost and get burned by looking at these as college conferences. Because the Sharks... In Chicago and in Dallas and in Birmingham, do not look at them as college conferences. And that's why there is no longer a Pac-12. And while the ACC is protected, for the most part, by that grant of rights, the three commissioners of those other leagues are not looking at them as college conferences. They are looking at them as money-making endeavors. And there are benefits to having a larger league which is the only the Big 12 didn't make themselves more money by adding Arizona, Arizona State, Utah and Colorado. They didn't. They made themselves bigger, which gives them a little bit more power. And the ACC, I agree, they don't add anything, but there is something short-sighted about not making that decision that way. And I wish and you are right about the ACC reacting. They have always reacted after the first the first edition of Miami, which they probably should have stopped just at Miami and then lobbied for the threshold to have a conference championship game to be dropped to 10, that would have been fine. They could have just added Miami and gotten to 10. And who cares anyway about it? The championship game isn't worth that much money uh, anywhere except the SEC. Uh, all the others are just kind of there. 
Maybe the Big Tens is worth more money now, but for the most part, none of them are worth that much money except the Southeastern Conference. But the ACC has always been behind the curve. They should have pushed harder for Texas and Oklahoma a dozen years ago. And when Southern Cal and UCLA jumped, the ACC should have pushed harder for Oregon and Washington, who do have value. Um, And maybe Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford would have made a lot more sense back then. But right now the ACC is reacting, and this has kind of been a pattern over the last 10 years. Yeah, I disagree. I mean, I just I think the first two expansions had a clear purpose. Um, whether you agree with them or not, they're you know it's just like adding Florida State. If you want to go back that far, they all had a goal in mind. They had specific things yep. they were designed to do. I don't think this has anything it's designed to do. Um, I don't think it makes the ACC more no. powerful or a stronger conference. And I think USC UCLA uh, in particular in the Big Ten are really going to come to regret that agreement. I think the schools, the Pac-12 schools that joined the Big Twelve, have a little more geographical continuity. Um, but I think USC and UCLA in particular are really going to regret that. And we're going to see a lot of think pieces 15 years from now about oh. how they chased the money and destroyed themselves. I'm sure they will. Um, I'm sure they will in, in a lot feeling. of levels. Where, where When they won't is when the check's clear. That's when UCLA and USC won't. Because Adam, be- have we learned nothing from Florida State? Money does not buy success. Florida State spends more than any other public school in the ACC. They win all their ACC titles in track. They haven't been relevant in football in 15 years. They got one basketball title in the last decade. It was literally handed to them on the floor of the Greensboro Coliseum because a pandemic was descending. I'm I'm with you on that. That is called mismanagement. And mismanagement will affect any – look, Alabama went through the dark ages – before Nick Saban got there. We we know the run of coaches between Gene Stallings and Nick Saban. It wasn't very good there. Tennessee should be set up to win. Post-Philip Fulmer, it didn't go so well. So, look, it, it's all about who you hire at all levels of your uh, organization, whether it's pro sports or college sports. Uh, but the ACC still treats the ACC like a college conference, which I agree it is. But I don't think the others, I don't think the competition is doing the same thing. I appreciate just the give and take with you, Luke. I will see you very soon. Uh, appreciate your time. Next week, we talk college football only, actual games. No, we're skipping right ahead to hockey. Okay, we can do that too. The week, the week one games are, other than USC, USC, we can skip right to hockey. Oh, no, you're probably right. All right, man, I'll talk to you later. All right, bud. Take care. Luke DeCock of the News and Observer. Jake, I'm getting worried. My house hunt's taking longer than expected. We've made so many offers and keep losing out. You could really use the JAG Advantage. What's the JAG Advantage? The Jim Allen Group, number one real estate team in the state since 1996 with the largest inventory of home sites in the Triangle, 11,000. And they rep more than 65 communities. The Jim Allen Group? Oh, I get it. The JAG Advantage. Score with the Jim Allen Group at thejagadvantage.com. Equal housing opportunity.